you believe that, that there are powers of darkness, that we live uh, in between two kingdoms, right? That there's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. And that we have been given a mission in the midst of this, uh, this, these two kingdoms that are at war. We know that the scripture says that the God of this world, that Satan, that he is waging war, that, uh, that he's seeking to deceive, to lead astray. Um, but, but we know that there's a God over all. And that he is the God of light, right? And that he is advancing his light. He is advancing his kingdom. That he reigns and rules. And that is Jesus, right? That Jesus came and because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, because he's conquered death, he currently reigns over all. And that his kingdom is advancing. That his purposes are going to continue. And that you and I, we have a choice, right? That, that we have a choice is what are we going to live for? What kingdom are we advancing and so the question that I think all of us answer, whether we consciously answer it or not, or subconsciously, we all answer this question is, what am I serving? What am I advancing? What kingdom am I going to live for today or this week? You know, I can't think of anything that brings me more joy than to think of times when I've done a good job, right? When I know that I've done my best and I've worked hard and I've brought the person I'm serving uh, joy or pride you know and i think of being a kid um with my dad and just working and doing things and seeing his joy seeing his pride at doing a good job and i think of man we have such an opportunity we have such a joy that each day we get to work for our heavenly father we get to serve him we get to advance his purposes and because isn't it so easy that we can wake up and our culture is going to give us all kinds of things that we can serve right your own comfort entertainment your family relationships. There's all kinds of things that we can do. And God says, listen, if you would put me first, if you would serve my kingdom and advance my purposes, all of these other things will fall in line. Everything will begin to be put in order. And so that's, that's what our whole theme is about, is, is blessed, is that God has given us a mission in this world, and that we are either going to embrace that mission and run with God and say, God, I want to, I want to spend my life on things that matter, on things of eternity. I don't want to waste my life we're going to either embrace that and run with God and advance his kingdom, or we're going to push that aside and say, God, you know, I'm just too busy right now. I've got other purposes. I've got other things that matter more. So if we've embraced that, if God has rescued us and we've embraced that purpose, and we say, God, I want to advance your kingdom. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Jesus, you have rescued me, and I'm, I'm in. How do we do that? right? And how we do that is through bless. Right? It's, it's a missional strategy that we have. Uh, and we know that because in the scriptures it talks about that God blesses us in order that we might be a blessing, right? You see in Genesis 12 with Abraham is that God blesses Abraham. He says, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world. And so the first part is that we must receive the blessing of God. And that means ultimately we receive Christ. We know that all of God's promises are yes in Jesus, that all the spiritual wealth that we could ever dream or desire is found in Christ. So we must receive the blessing of God. But, but God's blessing doesn't just stop with us receiving it. We then in turn reflect it. Right? And so we must, in partnership with God, we go and we reflect that to the world. By how? Well, we, we reach those that are far from God. Right? We then restore. Right? We bring humanity and dignity and integrity and wholeness into a world that lacks it. In the places that are broken, we bring light in the midst of darkness. And so we restore what has been broken. But then we reproduce. We bring people along with us in this mission. Right? And, and so BLESS is, is an acronym, right? It, and it, it's both organic and organized, 
right? And so any, if you've done anything, I think that sometimes some of us, we, we think this and we're like, man, this is awesome. This fits in my like, you know, like very neat, tidy organization. You know, I can walk through this. And others of us, we kind of hear about something that's organized and we're like, well, listen, I'm just organic. I just kind of go with the flow, you know? And I think that we need to understand that it's both, right? That we need, that there are spiritual, these are spiritual disciplines and that we need these structures that help us, but they're not just structures, right? That we don't just interact with people and walk through a formula. Like, all right, well, I've done B already, so it's on to L. And then I've crossed off L, so like, we got to eat now, you know? Like, this is part of the process, so you got to get on board with it, right? So we, we, but we realize that this is, these help guide us in what it means for us to love and engage with people, right? That this is one set of principles that help us to do the mission of, to do the mission of God. And so we've talked through, begin with prayer, that everything that we do begins and starts with humbling ourselves before God, right? And it's part of it's for wisdom. We need God's knowledge, right? There are opportunities that God would close the door on. There's opportunities that God would open. If we're not sensitive, if we're not before him in prayer, we're going to miss things. We're going to look back and be like, man, I totally missed that. I didn't see what God was doing there. And a lot of times God wants to give us insight into what he's up to, into what he's doing. So we begin with prayer, not just for that, but also because God changes us through prayer, and like when we're, when we're near God, he changes who we are so that we're able to do his mission, you know? And so if we're not praying, we're not able, we're not going to become the kind of people that are able to do the mission of God. But then we listen, right? We listen first to the Lord because he's going to teach us how to listen. He listens great. But we also learn to listen to others. What does it mean for us to ask good questions, for us to be still, for us to actually engage in active listening, not just waiting for the other person to be quiet so we can speak, you know, or or not just talking, but we actually are able to be still and listen. And now today we're talking about my favorite, which is eat. So I yeah, food food is amazing, um, but it's more than just physical nourishment. As good as physical nourishment is. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke nineteen verses one through ten. This is a story of Jesus with Zacchaeus. Maybe some of you know the Sunday school tune. So verse 1 says, He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Right? just want to pause here. Chief tax collector. So some of you might know, but uh, the IRS is not the most welcomed or loved people in our own country, right? You know, especially this time of year, everybody, you know, I mean, well, in some ways you get your tax return back. So, you know, in, in those times we're like, yay, but, you know, throughout, but in their day, tax collectors um, worked for the enemy. They worked for Rome. So Israel was oppressed, right? They were overtaken. They were not a free country. They had other people dictating and setting laws and demands for them. But tax collectors worked for Rome. Right, worked for the people that had slaughtered and killed probably some of the people that they lived next to, their own countrymen. And Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. Right? So he was like the one running the show, setting up the organization. And the way that tax collectors made their money is right, they skimmed off the top. So here's what Rome says you need to pay. Tax collectors said, Well, we're gonna take a five, six percent increase because that's how we get our money. And so they kind of controlled and they had Rome's backing to uh to get as much money as they wanted. So Zacchaeus is not a very well-loved or liked individual. Breaking up. Sorry, Steve. Um, 
So Zacchaeus was uh, was not a well loved or liked individual, but Jesus, he for some reason he's drawn to Jesus. Right, this person that has betrayed his own country, that is sold out. What most people say, sold out his soul, is drawn to Jesus. He's attracted to him, and so it says he was a chief tax collector and was rich, uh, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Right, he had a height problem, which probably led him to become a tax collector because he wanted power. Um, so, maybe, maybe not, you know, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word. So the big idea, what's going to guide us throughout our time, is that God's mission is to bless the world. Eating helps make strangers into friends. Eating helps make strangers into friends so that we might be a blessing to them. So we're going to talk about, I'm just going to answer five or six questions. Um, And so the first one is, what is hospitality, right? Because when we're talking about eating, what we're really talking about is we're talking about the spiritual practice of hospitality, Right? And the Bible talks a lot about hospitality, even though in our culture we've often neglected that term or that phrase. And so most of us don't really understand what hospitality is, right? We think of the hospitality industry, and so we're like, hospitality, vacation time. You know? And so that's not what the Bible talks about when it's talking about hospitality. It's not talking about Cancun or Costa Rica, right? It's not referring to a vacation resort. But, and it's also, a lot of times we get hospitality mixed up with entertaining, Right, we think of Martha Stewart, and we got to have the perfect house, and we got to have everything nice and neat and ordered, and we got to have people come over, and we got to have the exact perfect meal. Right, and so hospitality is not entertaining. Right, what is and what is hospitality then? What does it mean to be hospitable? Right, hospitality, and I love this definition. Hospitality is the process of turning strangers into friends. Right? Hospitality is the process of turning strangers into friends. And do you see how this definition means so much more than just having somebody into your home? Because you can be hospitable even when you're homeless. Right? Jesus doesn't have a home. Right? He's not welcoming Zacchaeus into his home. He's telling Zacchaeus, hey, you we're going to go into your house. But Jesus is the one that's hospitable. Right? Because why? He is turning strangers into friends. A definition that I heard, it says that uh, hospitality is the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. In the New Testament, the Greek word translated hospitality literally means love of strangers. It means that we, we have a love for the stranger or for the person that is different from us. Another quote that I read that I thought was profound and says hospitality is a way of being in the world 
It happens in our homes and at our tables. It happens in restaurants at the Express and at Rogers Bakery. It happens in our offices, in our classrooms, and whenever we meet another on the sidewalk. Hospitality provides a safe place where others can be at home. A place where it is safe to be yourself, say what you think, ask the questions you have, and engage in the respectful exchange of different views. Jesus invited the stranger into his home and made them disciples. Henry Nouwen describes the process well. Hospitality creates the space and carves out the time and affords the freedom for the stranger to be his own authentic self and to become a friend. It does not allow for creating people in our own image. Thoreau said, I would not have anyone adopt my mode of living on any account. I desire that there may be as many different persons in the world as possible. Hospitality is where we create a space for those that are different from us, so those that might be strangers, to feel welcomed, to feel cared for, to feel loved, to feel safe, in order that they might express who they are. Because this is the process in which people change. And so hospitality is not primarily something that we do. It's people that we are. We can be hospitable anywhere we go in, in all kinds of things that we do. But you see... Hospitality is hard. Hospitality, for some of us, is harder than others. Some of us have a natural bent to where we want to engage with people. We're a little bit more outgoing. But hospitality isn't primarily a personality trait. It's not just that some people are more outgoing than others. Just because you're outgoing doesn't mean that you're hospitable. And the reason I think hospitality is so difficult is because we have this something that's called self-gravity. Right? You know, as, as much as I really want to fly, there's something that holds me back from it. Every time I seem to jump, I just come back to the earth, and gravity seems to just hold me down, right? I mean, we have this force that is pulling us back to the center. And you see, you and I, we have this force called sin. And as we try to be generous, or as we think of others, it often pulls us back in towards ourself. And we begin to think, well, you know, I'd love to do that, but I just I don't have the time. Or they're just, that would kind of be inconvenient for me. That would be awkward or different. or That's just not my personality. You see, we have this self-gravity that constantly makes excuses for us to get out of our way and to be hospitable people, people that welcome, people that are able to listen, people that are able to be generous and care. And it makes it so difficult, this self-centered sin that pulls us back into the orbit of self. And we need that orbit to be destroyed. We need it to to cease before we're able to be people that are hospitable, people that are welcoming and loving wherever they go. John Piper, he says that the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. It is the path of least resistance. All we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life, and the result will be a life so full of self that there is no room for hospitality. And I don't know about you, but I, there are often times where I can feel that way, where you think, well, man, I've just had a long work week. I'm so tired. I've been dealing with all these people, and the thought of inviting somebody else into our home or going over it is just like, I'm done, right? And there's, hear this, there's a time for rest, right? There, it doesn't mean that we're a slave, that there's a time where we do need to be still. But I think the question we need to ask is, are we actually wanting rest? Because sometimes our rest isn't rest. Sometimes our excuses are more self-centered than they're actually God-centered. You know, God intended that our rest would be found in community and with the Lord. 
right? And so there's, I mean, you think about the Sabbath and how God designed rest as he designed it to be in community, right? And I'm sure that there were times where they were in their own family and they were a time in that, but, but part of that rest, part of that deep spiritual rest was found being with others. And so would you might consider that maybe one of the ways that God wants to actually endow a deeper rest than just this physical tiredness is by being hospitable, is by welcoming other people into your life. Because think about it, if hospitality is not primarily about entertaining, then it's not about having everything look perfect. It's not about having the right dish and getting all the right things. It's just a matter of letting other people in. And that can be scary for some of us because we worry about our image. We worry about what other people will think of us or how we appear. And we have to let go of those things if we're to actually get rest. I think God would bring a deeper and more profound rest as we let other people into who we really are and what's really going on in our lives. Then they might be safe and feel that they can let their guard down too. And they can really say what's going on in their lives and who they really are. It might be one of the things that God would bring rest in your soul and bring healing in our communities. So another question that I have is why is hospitality so important? Right? Why does hospitality matter so much? Well, I think that we need to go back and understand uh, the ancient culture that Jesus is talking about that we see here. Um, hospitality was a, a premier virtue in the ancient culture, and not just for Judaism, but for a culture at large. You see, travel wasn't as easy as hopping on an airplane and flying seven hours to another country. Right? I mean, I was thinking about that when we went on our anniversary. You know, we, we went to Italy, which was a, a godsend. But I'm like, man, like we were here in like eight to ten hours. You know, I'm like, this is like what, like probably a four to six month journey. You know, like 150 years ago, we don't think about that. Like traveling was difficult. You know, especially in Jesus' days that people didn't travel as frequently. Like Rome was kind of this innovator because they created Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and they built roads, right? They built roads that traveled from cities, and that allowed travel to happen a little bit more frequently. But traveling was dangerous, right? I mean, that you had to be fairly wealthy if you were going to travel frequently, you know? I mean, to have a chariot, to have horses or donkeys that would carry you. I mean, most people walked, and the average person would, you know, walk maybe 20 miles a day. And they're carrying all the things that they need to carry. I mean, this is a laborious, time, you know, uh, heavy job of traveling. And so there weren't a lot of hotels either because people didn't travel as frequently. There weren't a lot of inns. The only inns were along major passageways. And so you really, if you decided to travel, you relied on the hospitality of others. You know, you relied on people being willing to open their home and let you stay there. And so there was a code, actually, that that was enforced, that was kind of a a general uh, guideline for hospitality. And the four things that they would do is that there was an invitation, right? So that most cities knew that if you were coming, that you would stand at the city gate, right? And that that was kind of something that you waited for an invitation to be welcomed in or to be welcomed into a home. And so you stood out there, and, and hopefully, you know, that the, their city welcomed you. This is what Jesus talked about when he sends out the 70. And he, they go into the cities, right? They're standing there waiting for people to welcome them in, people to open up their homes and be hospitable. And if they're not hospitable, it's pretty crazy because Jesus says, dust the, you know, dust the, uh, put the dust off your feet and move on, you know, because what? Because they're not willing. They're not open. They're not hospitable. They're not welcoming to the message of God. And so there's, a, there's an invitation. You stand at the gate. The second part is that there's a screening, right? 
that they interview you, right? I mean, they don't just, I mean, to see if you're an enemy, you know what I mean? Because anybody could stand at the gate and be like, hey, let me in, you know? And all of a sudden, your town's overtaken. And so they screened them, you know? Like, hey, who are you? Where are you from? What are your intentions? And at times, they would have letters of recommendation. You see this in, in Paul's epistles at times. You know, he talks about, I didn't come bring a letter of rec- recommendation. You know, there were times where people, if they were foreign, if they were new, they would bring and say, hey, so-and-so vouches for me. You know, this public official or this person of great repute, like they vouched for me. And so there would be a screening process and it would determine whether they would be staying at someone's house or whether they'd get the boot, say, keep on walking. So they would screen. The next thing is that the, there would be a person, and it was seen as a high honor, you know, to, to be the person of hospitality, right? Because you could entertain all kinds of different guests. You never know who would come to your town. You would have this opportunity to entertain them and to listen to them, you know, to, uh, to, to question them. And so they would bring them in, um, and it was the host's responsibility to wash their feet, to provide them a feast, and to give them refreshing rest, right? I mean, they gave their best, they didn't just say, well, come over. I got some, uh, got some stuff that we'll just heat up on the side. We'll bring leftovers, you know. They would go and they would get the best of what they had and they would give it because they wanted to show that they cared for the other person. And then the last thing is that they departed, right? And maybe this is why hospitality works so well is that they only stayed two days, <laughs> you know. Some of us are like, yeah, man, I'd be maybe we're willing to open my house if it was only for two days, you know. So this is a general code is that people knew that you didn't kind of outlive your stay, that two days is kind of max, and then you packed up your stuff and you you departed. And so this is kind of the, the general code for the ancient culture as far as hospitality. And hospitality was important because it was dangerous to travel. And, and oftentimes travelers would be bringing letters, they'd be bringing news, and so you didn't have, you know, click on the TV and hear what's going on in the country, right? They would learn a lot of these news from travelers who would come through. And so traveling was important. Hospitality was seen as a premiere, something that was extremely valuable and important to do. But you see, the Jews took it to an even greater extent. Now, you have, you have in Leviticus... Uh, talking about the role or the basis for our hospitality as both with both Jews and for Christians. It says in Leviticus 19, 33 through 34, it says, When a stranger sojourns or stays with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying that for you, the basis of hospitality runs deeper than simply wanting to look good, than simply wanting to hear the latest news, than simply wanting to be seen in a certain light. Hospitality runs deep. It runs to the core of who you are because you only exist as a people because I, the Lord your God, am hospitable because I welcomed you in. And think about this. This is exactly true for the Jews, right? They were in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years, and God came, and he says, I will make you a people when you're not a people. I will welcome you, and I will take you to be with me. I will rescue you through the Red Sea. And their entire salvation, their entire existence, their entire life was dependent upon the hospitality God's hospitableness, him welcoming them, him opening up his life and saying, come and be part of me, him wedding himself to them. And isn't this exactly what you and I are indebted to also? That that we owe our salvation to a God that welcomed us, that, that 
opened his life and said, come, be with me. And think about this. This is where, for me, I mean, the gospel is so present here. When we think about Jesus' hospitality, and think about the, the ancient code for hospitality, is that we are welcomed in to God's family. God takes us in, he brings us to himself, and that we were no people, but now we are people. But the only way that this happened is that, that Jesus was cast out. Jesus, the true son, Jesus, the one who abandoned his heavenly home and was sent into a foreign land, who was obedient through his whole life, when he, the only one worthy of being welcomed back home, right, the obedient son who should have been embraced by the father, instead, it says that he was crucified outside of the gate, that he was given rejection rather than invitation because of us. And when he was screened, God the Father said, you cannot enter because the sin of the world was put upon him. And do you realize the cost of our welcome, the cost of you and I being part of God's family was the cost of his son being cast out, being separated, being crucified outside of the gate for us. And so we are hospitable because of a God who was willing to be sacrificed and be crucified and to take the separation that you and I deserve, that we might be welcomed in. And this, this is why hospitality runs at the core of who we are as Christians. It's not just something that we do on the side, but we welcome the stranger because you and I were strangers and God welcomed us. Ephesians 219 it says so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god i don't know if you've ever had that feeling of being on the outside and i remember moving uh when i was young and i was in sixth grade and we moved and i just felt on the outside you know, I, it took just such a long time to feel like I was at home, that I was in the right place. And I don't know if you felt that before. Maybe it's a, a family gathering or maybe it's a situation where you just you feel on the outside. You just don't feel like you belong. You feel like you're kind of trying to figure your way. And then I remember in the midst of that being welcomed in, right? in the midst of that losses, in the midst of that, you know, that search to, to be welcomed in and to say, here's a home. Here's a place where you belong. Here's a place where you are loved, where you are cared for. Here's a place where it doesn't matter what you do because we, we have purpose that we are going to love you and that we are going to persevere with you. And, and that makes all the difference. And I remember for me, that was the church. You know, when I, got, when I had someone invite me and come in and I started to feel safe enough to actually open up and I began to feel loved and feel cared for and, and all my insecurities began to fall and I, I was able to actually talk with what was really going on in my life and feel healing. And this is what God has done for each of us. And this is what God wants to use you to do in other people's lives. You see, that was one of my friends, Ben. He was the one that did that for me. You know, and that you, each of us have someone that has done that for us, that has welcomed us in and has been the conduit of God's hospitality to us. And God wants to use us to be that hospitality towards someone else. And this is what it means is it's, it's important not just because we, because of God's hospitality, because we reflect God's hospitality in our hospitality. You see, it's, hospitality is not less than t- taking people into your home. 
it's certainly more. Hospitality looks like using the goods and the resources that God has given you to to help the poor, to help the widow, to help the hurting, to help the, the, the broken. And so hospitality is wherever you go. It can be in your workplace. It can be in your neighborhood. It can be in your family. It can be while you're at the grocery store. You know, I mean, it, there's so many different ways because hospitality is primarily who you are. And that you're not, we're not going to be a people that are, that are hospitable unless we receive the hospitality of God. If you don't consciously remember what it meant for you to be separated from God and for God to welcome you into his family, the cost that he gave for you, then you're not going to sacrifice. You're not going to, to give the cost that it requires for you to welcome others. You, you'll, you'll constantly be making excuses for not welcoming others. It's not my personality type. It's not my gifting. I don't have time. But when you remember what it cost Jesus and the extent that he went to welcome you, that changes our reference. It allows us to create room to welcome others. And, or maybe it allows us to do things differently in order that in what we're doing, we welcome others. So the next question is, what is the attitude of host? Right? What is the attitude of a host? And I think that we see this when we look at the passage. Right? Jesus is a host, even though he's not inviting Zacchaeus into his house. He's telling Zacchaeus, we're going to your house to eat. And so what do we see Jesus, what are, what are the attitudes that Jesus exemplifies in this? Well, one, the attitude of host is, is that there's intentionality. Right? Any good host, any person that is, that is hospitable, is that there's an intention there. Right? It doesn't just happen, you know, like it doesn't just happen on accident. That, that you have a purpose, that you are intending to welcome them in. Right? You have purpose to say, listen, I want them to feel welcomed. I want them to feel loved. And so you do things with a purpose. And, and, and you see this with Jesus, right? He has a purpose with Zacchaeus, right? He's going, he's telling him, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go eat at your house. And Zacchaeus is like, sweet, all right, let's do it. So you, you see intentionality. Do you have intention with the people around you? Do, you? do you think, do you see the opportunities, the people that feel that are left out, that feel strangers? Or are we so focused on our own mission, our own goals, that we totally miss the stranger? We totally miss the person that is on the outside, and we don't welcome them in. So there, there needs to be intentionality. The second thing that we see is that there needs to be compassion, right? That there needs to be a kindness and a compassion, right? That, that people aren't a checklist, right? We, we're not just saying, well, we're intentional because now I've, I've crossed off my E, right? That we genuinely love people and we want to know them. We want them to feel welcomed. I, I remember for me in college, there was an internship that I had my junior year and, uh, and I went from Kansas City into St. Louis and, uh, and we had to stay in a home, uh, and different people in the church volunteered to take us into their homes, which I thought, hey, that's an awesome thing. Is it somebody would willing to, you know, to give me their uh, place in their home for the summer? And it was. It was a very generous thing for them to do. But I'll forever remember that, that while there were moments of kindness, I never felt like I was part of the family. I, and, and, and who knows what was going on with their lives or what the situation is. You know, like I want to absolutely give them grace, but I just remember that feeling of feeling that I was not a part, of feeling that there wasn't, that, that they had felt maybe guilt in this and had, and had acquiesced that they had had room, but I never felt like I was a part of the family, that I was, I was invited to meals or that there was intention or kindness or care. And I remember that, that purposing in my heart saying, I don't want anybody else to feel that way. I, I want people, when they come in, I want them to feel loved. I want them to feel cared for. I want them to know that, that I want them here, 
that they're not just here to take up space, but they're, they are desired and they're wanted. And we communicate that in all kinds of ways, not just by having people over for dinner, but in our workplace, right, with our family, that we, we want them. We desire that we care for them, that they are loved. And so the third thing that we see about a good host is not only they, do they need to be intentional and purposeful, not only do they need to be compassionate, but they also need to be generous. Right? Is it being a good host means that you give your best, not your leftovers, unless your leftovers are your best, right? I mean, unless it's like, you know, like our leftovers are steak, you know? I mean, but you give, you give your best, you're generous. And you see this with Jesus, is that when Jesus comes, he realizes that the best thing that he can give is himself, is his salvation, right? And so he comes to Zacchaeus, not telling Zacchaeus, not giving Zacchaeus money, not giving him reputation, but giving him himself. He gives him relationship. And through that, you read at the end, it says, salvation has come to this house today because he is also a son of Abraham. And Zacchaeus was changed because he gave himself. And so in our generosity towards others, we don't hold back. We're willing to give ourselves, and that means that we're willing to give our time, we're willing to give our reputation, we're willing to give our, our relationship we're willing to give our finances, right? And this is one of the things that we believe about why we think it's important to be in covenant, right? Is that we think it's important that we are intentional with agreeing to these things, right? That you don't have to, you can live out all these things and that's important. But just as someone that's not married, right? That they, they might be living together. They might be doing all the things. And we would say, well, that's good that you're living as a married couple, but why would you not be willing to, to make the commitment of covenant? Why would you not be willing to say, I do, and commit to those things that you already say that you want to do, that are already important? Wouldn't you do that? Right? And so we think that that's what covenant does, is covenant just clarifies who we already are, and it helps us to commit to what we want to be. And that's a people that give ourselves to one another, a people that say that what's mine is yours. And that happens, that happens intentionally. That doesn't happen naturally. That's something the Spirit does and that we commit to, that we say, yes, this is who I want to be. I want to give myself to this group of people because I know that I need that too. And so we're, we're generous. And think about that. That's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus, right? I mean, Jesus came into his life. He welcomed Zacchaeus. And what happened? Immediately as soon as Zacchaeus felt welcomed, as soon as he felt cared for and loved and the grace of God fell upon his life, his priorities changed massively, right? I mean, he, think about this. Like, this is a man that sold his whole country out for the sake of money. Like, he has seen the emptiness and the void in his life. And Jesus comes and says, what you've been so hungering for is not wealth. It's not status. It's acceptance by God. It's a, it's a renewed relationship with, with me. And immediately, he says, you're right. And all of a sudden, what he had valued before becomes a means of generosity. It becomes a means for him to distribute to those that had need and to those around him. And God wants to do this through us. We have all, all the time, we have so many people right around us that they're holding on to things that don't satisfy and they're waiting for us to welcome them in to show them there's something far more valuable and that what they're valuing can be used as a tool. It's not the end, it's a means to the end. So, that's, those are the adages of host, intentionality, kindness or compassion, and generosity. The next question, I think, is, is who are we to show hospitality towards? Right? Who is the, the aim of our hospitality? And I think that we see two things. First, proximity, and the second is affinity. Right? Is it who is around you? Right? I mean, that's who you start with. 
I mean, you start with a people that God has placed in your lives. I remember it's been about two years that we've, Em and I have had our house where we live. And I, I forever remember God has etched it on my heart when we got that home that God said, I have intentionally placed you here. In Acts 17, it talks about that God is the one that appoints where we would live and appoints the people that live around us. Why? That they might seek him, that they might know him. And so it's not an accident that you live where you live. It's not an accident that your neighbors live where they live. It's not an accident that you're at work and that you work where you work for this time period, right? That, that all those things are the intention of God. And he's put people in your proximity. Why? That you might be his ambassador, that you might host them. And so before we go off on, you know, on grand ideas, and we need to start b- being very practical with the people that live right around us, with the people that God has led us to rub shoulders with all the time. And so I think a part of what this means is, I mean, Jesus was homeless and he was walking all the time. I mean, Jesus was intentionally putting himself in places where he was encountering people. And so do you put yourself in places where you're intentionally encountering people? Or are you always inside? Maybe here's an idea. Take a walk. Go outside your doors. There's other people there. You might meet one. It could be good. And so... God, God has placed people around us, and he desires that we would rub shoulders with them, that we would get outside of our own comfort zone, outside of our own schedule, and that he would use us in that. And so we start with proximity. Start by asking, who has God put around me that I would welcome, I would open up my life, open up my home, and I would welcome in? The second thing is affinity. So when you look at Zacchaeus, pretty clear Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, even though even though he didn't want Jesus to see him, right? I mean, he's up in the tree. He's getting out of the crowd. He's kind of thinking like, all right, this is the perfect vantage point. I can see this dude that everybody's talking about, but he doesn't get to see me, right? So there's desire there. Obviously, he wants to see, and Jesus looks up and can tell like, all right, so here's somebody that has some zeal. Like he's willing to climb a tree, you know, and kind of look like a fool a little bit because he wants to see me. And so he already tells that there's, there's affinity here. There is favor. And so he tells Zacchaeus, he's like, all right, you really want to see me? You want to know what I'm about? Let's do it. We're going over to your house to eat, and you'll, you'll find out who I am. And you see this all the time with Jesus. Right? I mean, you see it early on in his ministry. There are people, and they're kind of looking, and they're, they're asking Jesus, where is it that you stay? Right? I mean, why are they asking Jesus that? Why, why are the, the early disciples, why are they asking Jesus where he stays? Because they want to know about him. Right? They want to know who he is. They want to know what, what his story is. And he tells him, he says, come and see. Right, what does that mean, come and see? It doesn't mean just, all right, come over to my house. He's, he's welcoming them. He's opening up their life, and he's saying, come and see who I am. I'll show you what my life is about. I'll show you who I am. You'll be forever changed by it. Are we willing to open up our lives that people might be changed by who God has made us to be? And it starts with favor. There are some people in your neighborhood that God's just not giving you favor with, at least not now. You know, and, and so you might say hi, and they're like, I'm not saying hi to you. And you just close their door. They're never out, you know. And, and who knows? Maybe it's a season thing. Maybe they've got something going on in their lives, and we don't know. But there, there are going to be people that God's given you favor to and God give, has given you favor with. And so you need to sense that. Who is it that, man, they're open to your invitations. They seem willing. They seem responsive. You know, and, and there are times where God calls us to persevere and, and calls us to just be patient because sometimes there are seasons. But I promise you, there are people that God has given you favor with. God has given you affinity to. And so we start there and we utilize that. That's Jesus' mission. He says, go in and, and you start with a person of peace, right? Your mission starts with finding people of peace, people that will welcome you into their home, right? People that are willing to be welcoming into your home. And you start loving them. You start caring for them. You start serving them. And that's how the mission of God begins to be expanded. 
So we see this in, in Matthew eleven nineteen. It says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Again, in Luke 15, 2, it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, here's the thing. Who God gives you affinity to or who, who God draws to you might not be who you thought. Right? It might not be the person that you're like, we're naturally best of friends. Right? This person might be radically different from you, and God might give you favor and affinity, and you're like, going, God, why do they want to hang out with me? You know, like, we are totally different. You know, like, I mean, there's been people that, like, I've in youth ministry where God has just drawn people to me, and I'm like, God, I don't know how you drew them to me. Like, they don't want to play sports. They don't want to go outdoors. Like, there's, like, nothing that we have in common, but for whatever reason, they want to hang out. And I'm like, all right, God, like, we're just going to, we're going to do this, you know, and God gives us favor. And this is, this is exactly true with Jesus, is that he wasn't ashamed to hang out with different people. He wasn't ashamed to go different places. And so, do you have a reputation of hanging out with people that might be unsavory for the purpose of showing them grace? And that's that's a question, right? Because a lot of times we're we're we'll be hospitable as long as people are welcoming or loving to us, or as long as people fit in this category that we have. But are we willing to be hospitable to the person that others might look and say, "Well, why are they there? What are they doing there?" I mean. Jesus had a reputation for being a glutton and, a, and a, a sinner, right? I mean, a drunkard. Why? Not because he was, but because he was around situations and people that were in those, those places. And so are we willing to go and be, be scandalous for the grace of God? And we have to be careful, absolutely. Because some of us, those are places where we're not enabled to be yet right? We're saying, hey, listen, I got that struggle, and that's maybe not your mission field right now, but God's going to put you in places and put you with people that you're going to think uh, are not your type and are going to be seen as scandalous in some way, are going to be different. And so the question is, is are you willing to, to go to those places, to be in those people? Are you willing to put yourself in proximity? Because Jesus is constantly doing that. He's constantly putting himself in proximity, and, and he's not afraid of what other people think. I mean, I think so often we're afraid of what other people think if we're there or if we go to that place. And Jesus isn't. He is not ashamed and he's not afraid because he says the mission of God is too big and too urgent for me to be worried about what that person thinks, to be worried about what religious people are going to uh, get all tight-wadded about. He says, I I, I have a mission to do and I'm concerned with what my father thinks and with pleasing him. And so who do we show hospitality towards? We show hospitality towards the people that God has put around us and the people that God has given us favor with, and we don't judge who that is. We don't automatically X people out because we think, well, of course, God wouldn't give me favor if any with them. The last thing as we, as we close is how is it that we apply this to our life? What are some practical steps that we can take in being, uh, being people that are uh, welcoming? I, I want to read a quote again uh, by Piper. It says, we experience the refreshing joy of becoming conduits of God's hospitality rather than being self-decaying cul-de-sacs. The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. Or here's another way to put it. When we practice hospitality, we experience the thrill of feeling God's power conquer our fears and our stinginess and all the psychological gravity of our own self-centeredness. And there are few joys, if any, greater than the joy of experiencing the liberating power of God's hospitality, making us a new and radically different kind of people.
who love to reflect the glory of his grace as we extend it to others in all kinds of hospitality. How can I draw the most people into a deep experience of God's hospitality by the use of my home or my church home? Who might need reinforcements just now in the battle against loneliness? Who are the people who could be brought together in my home most strategically for the sake of the kingdom? What two or three people's complementary abilities might explode in a new ministry if they had two hours of brainstorm over dinner in my house? We fail in the mission of God if we simply receive God's hospitality and we don't reflect it. We are called to open our homes, open our lives, to show it. So here are, here are three ways to do that. So first is that you need to be present. You need to be aware, right? I mean, so, and I think one of the ways, and I mentioned this earlier, is that um, intentionally do things where you're going to rub shoulders with other people. You know, one of the ways that we do that is we take walks, you know, is that we, we have to because our dog will go crazy and tear up our backyard if we don't. But um, we, we try to take walks, you know, and that allows us as a family to get to know other people. We get to say hi to our neighbors. Another way that we're intentional is that, you know, Christmas time, you know, um, Easter, uh, different oper- different seasonal things give us opportunities to love our neighbors. And so, you know, one of the things that, that M does a great job of is that uh, she'll make cinnamon uh, rolls. And so we'll go and pass that out to our neighbors. Yes, some some have benefited from the cinnamon rolls. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, so, but, but it's a, it's a, a really easy way for us to be intentional and usually that you know carve out a couple hours because um, we get welcomed into homes and we get to have conversations and see what's going on in people's lives Um, there's lots of ways that we be intentional be purposeful with what we're doing and so it it doesn't need to take hours and hours you know it can be a a 10 minute walk it can be you know um, Choosing to, you know, one of the things we're going to do is, is choosing to do block parties. You know, there, there are lots of ways that we can welcome in. And on the back of that card that you have, there should be some ideas for that too. So be intentional. Um, and that means that you have, I want to challenge you, you have 21 meals a week, right? I mean, 21 meals a week. Oftentimes we eat our meals so quickly, right? And I'm guilty. I'm so guilty of that. Like I scarf down meals so fast, right? But we have 21 meals a week. Would you use those meals intentionally? I mean, just start with this. Maybe you say, I'm going to intentionally, for one meal each week, I'm going to eat with somebody that I wouldn't eat with normally. I'm going to invite a coworker. I'm going to invite a neighbor. I'm going to invite a family member. And I'm just going to eat with them. And, and you're like, man, that might be awkward. Well, then you're going to have to, you're going to, have to learn to listen. <laughs> Ask good questions. You know, learn to, here's a, a little secret that I do is I find the 1% we have in common and I devote 99% of my energy to it. Right? Is that you have something in common with everybody. The question is, is that can you find it and are you interested in it? And so some of you say, man, I don't even know how to ask questions. I don't know how to get in that conversation. Be curious. What do you want someone to know about you? Start thinking, where do you live? Why do they live there? Right? What do they like living about here? How is their house going? I mean, their family. People like to talk about themselves. They really do. I mean, usually in airports, like people just go on for hours, you know, and I just get to listen and get a whole life story. And so the question is, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to ask good questions? And so have a meal with somebody. Get to know them. Invite them and welcome them. It, simple things can be used for extra, and have extraordinary benefits for that. And the last thing I want to do is the worship team comes up, and as we uh, as we continue on in, in worshiping the Lord, is I want you to grab this. Hopefully each one of you got it. 
when you grab it, go ahead and get it. Hold it up for me. I will call you out if you do not. It's my way of loving you. <laughs> uh, all right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> uh, so what I want you to do with this, when I uh, when we moved into our neighborhood, I got a book. It was called The Art of Neighboring. And, uh, and one of the things that the book talks about is it, it talks about that um, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he means at least your physical next door neighbor, right? It's, it's, a, it's a more than, not less than. And so you start with who God has actually put next to you. Uh, and uh, I think the, a good way to do that is to actually know their names. <laughs> you know, it's usually a good idea to love somebody by knowing knowing their name, knowing who they are. And so uh, a way to do that is that um, I want you guys to, to put, you know, you're in the center, but there are eight neighbors that are right along there. And I want you, just as a challenge, is I want you to take, you know, we'll have about 30, 45 seconds. And if you're not able to do it today, like in this moment, I want you to do it today. Right, this is a really clear application. We're going to be talking about this the rest of this year. But I want you to write down who are the, the closest eight neighbors to you. I want you to write their name. But after that, I want you to write something you know about them. Right? Something that you have learned by talking to them. Like do an A, their name. B, something you've learned by talking to them. And then I want you to put a C underneath there. And I want you to put what's something that you would have to really know them to know. Like some, what, what's, what is a deep fear or a hope or aspiration about them, right? Because I mean, that's, that's a sign that you actually know somebody, you know what their dreams are, you know what their doubts are, you know what their frustrations are, you know what their struggles are. And I want you to write that for your neighbors. I want you to, and this is not a guilt party, right? This is an encouragement because this is hopefully something that we're going to do is that we're going to learn. We're going to pray, you know, and ask God that he would open up doors physically and spiritually, you know, into, into people's lives, and so, you know, as we worship, you know, maybe take this first song and, and, and sing, but also do that. Ask the Lord uh, to, to continue to move in your neighborhood, that you would be who God uses to bring people to himself. It was my neighbor, Ben, who invited me to church and invited me to come to know the Lord. God might use you to rescue somebody. I mean, would you do that? Would you be willing to invite somebody if you knew it would change their eternity? And part of hospitality is, is inviting people into our spiritual home also is that we have a church and we have life groups and, and people aren't going to know Christ unless they're in a community of faith. And so we need to welcome people into a place where they're loved and they're safe. And pray with me. Father, thank you so much that you have loved us enough to where you were exiled that we might be welcomed in. Thank you that you took the burden and the sin that we, uh, that we deserve, Lord, upon your back, that we might receive the grace and the love and the welcome, Lord, that you deserve. So thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead. You conquered all of that, and that we get to worship you, Lord. Help us to worship you through being on mission with you. Help us to be a people that love and that welcome the stranger, God, as you welcomed us. Help us to, to make strangers into friends. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.